Hello, Bittersweet Life listeners. This is Katie. How are you doing? Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. I have a quick assignment for you this week. I want you to make a promise that if you are a longtime fan of this show, that you tell at least one friend about it this week. Now, telling one friend might be undercutting your abilities of how well you are at spreading news. If you are a person who is so well connected to expat groups or groups of former expats or people who you know are seeking something, whether it be a move or just a new career, I encourage you to reach out to those people, connect them, introduce them to the show, and even make a shortcut for them. Grab their phone, subscribe them to it, and tell them, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we are not going to talk about time because we've talked about time so many times. (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) I did want to talk about pacing, which I guess is kind of splitting hairs when it comes to uh, time pacing. It's all sort of time related. It's related, but it is a specific aspect of time. Exactly. And specifically what I mean, let me explain what I mean. So I just got back from a week, week and a half in Seattle. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you know that I just moved to San Francisco. But in general, a lot of my working life still is up in Seattle at this point. I actually started wondering while I was up there, is this just the way it's going to be? Am I always going to do the home office down in San Francisco and then once a month fly up to Seattle and go to a bunch of meetings and do a bunch of jobs and stuff like that? Who knows? That remains to be seen. But I went up to Seattle for 10 days, mostly to work at this festival that was called the Crosscut Festival, but also to teach some interviewing classes and to do meetings with people and to try to set up stuff for Tiffany's upcoming Seattle book tour. Yay! (laughs) And I was running around that city like a champion the entire time I was there. And I was had this one in particular day that was the day that brought this topic up for me. I did have a car while I was there. And I had scheduled meetings on this one particular day that just happened to be flung all over the city. If you know anything about Seattle, I was in Madrona, I was in Ballard, I was in the International District, just basically everywhere. I was downtown and I had scheduled them all very close together so I wouldn't have too much downtime in between, right? So that I wouldn't just be sitting for an hour waiting for the next meeting to happen. I wanted to go from one to the other to the other. It all worked out great. But the part that was the absolute truest victory was I found myself with this little tiny window of time where I had an hour where I didn't have anything to do. And My car, it's still up in Seattle. My car is still in Seattle. I had gotten it aligned before I moved away. And when I got back to Seattle, I felt like this car is still pulling really hard to the right. So whatever alignment they did, it didn't work. (laughs) I got to take it back in. It's out of warranty, but I decided I'm going to try to go in and take it in anyway and appeal to their better natures. And in this hour window of time, I took the car in. They took it in. They accepted it. They said that they would fix it. So I ran down the street, jumped on the bus to downtown to get to my next meeting in time. 
And then I took a lift back after that meeting and barely, barely came under the wire of when they were going to close. I arrived at the tire alignment place with 10 minutes to spare. (laughs) Wow. This is an extremely boring story. The only thing that's not boring about it that I thought was interesting was I was thinking to myself, I could never do this in San Francisco. I would have never been able to pull off that kind of tight timing. Today, I have to go meet a guy at six o'clock and I'm already thinking I should probably be ready to go by 4.30 to figure out my way down there. Just because you don't know the city as well. Exactly. And I was just thinking like how different that is when you're traveling and you don't know your way around, how much slower everything can go and then how efficient you can be if you do know everything, if you know how to take any kind of system but regardless of where you are. I think there's another aspect as well. And I think some cities, regardless of if you know the city well or not, some cities you can get more things done quickly. And some cities it's just more difficult. So I think, I don't know, a city with a really efficient metro system, you know, that's a city where you're going to be able to get more stuff done. Whereas, I don't know, I have the idea that like a city like LA, things just take It just takes hours to get from one place to another. So I think it's a double reason that things could take less or more time. So it's how well you know the city and know how to get around. And then that own city's propensity for getting around quickly. Yeah. Well, I've never actually lived in a city that had efficient transit. Well, (laughs) so so I but I do know from living in Seattle for so long when it's going to be impossible to drive through certain areas and when it's going to be just fine. So I do have that advantage. And I also know all the alternative routes. Like if I get stuck in a traffic jam somewhere, I know where to turn to get out of it, where I always feel bad for the people who are relying on their navigator. I mean, granted, those maps do a great job of saying this route's going to be your fastest route. Mm -hmm. But when you have that sort of knowledge of a city where you can weave through any back street you want, it does help quite a bit. Yeah, I'm starting to get there in Rome, and I'm I'm not going to say... I can weave through any back street because that's I'm nowhere near that savvy yet. But I'm uh, I'm starting to get to the point, at least in my neighborhood and the neighborhood where I work. If I come across a, like a street that's all of a sudden blocked, I know where to go. I know a different route, which is as somebody who hasn't driven since I was 18 years old on a regular basis until last year. Also, as someone who lived in Rome for 13 years, 12 years, never driving in the city, I'm kind of impressed with myself right now. I'm like a little driver. I'm a little Roman driver. Would you say you're a good driver after having not driven for so long? I, you know, I feel like I've always been a decent driver. I'm a pretty defensive driver. I'm a pretty cautious driver. But living in Rome has made me a more aggressive driver because you have to be aggressive in Rome. People will honk at you. You know, when you're waiting to turn left and you've got like the traffic on your left side and you're trying to like wait for someone to let you through. If you don't go and like just force your way through, the people behind you are going to get very annoyed. And it's one thing to be like, hold on, mister, like no one's letting me in. But that doesn't cut it here. You just have to go. When you have to go, you go. I have to do something every morning and every afternoon that I I still to this day can't believe, looking back on my previous life as a Roman non-driver, I just can't believe that I'm doing it, which is I have to drop my son off and pick him up from daycare every day. 
And I swear we're not going to talk about traffic in this whole episode. Because we did a traffic episode, yeah, we by did, the way. It was popular. We did. Yeah. <laughs> People love to complain about traffic. I just want to give a little snapshot for those of you who live in cities where the streets are really wide, like <laughs> any American city, I guess. Denver. Shout out to you in Denver. Oh, well, Scott, Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. Just where you've got like big open spaces. In the States, it's pretty common. My son's little tiny daycare which is run by Filipino nuns who I adore. Just, you know, throwing in a little detail. <laughs> they, um, it's on a street, which across the street is a school that is a nursery school, an elementary school, and a middle school. So it's got a lot of students. And it is a narrow two-way street. It's one of those two-way streets that like really, when the cars park on either side, which they do, two cars can't really actually pass each other. One of them has to pull off to the side or they have to drive like really slow like you can't it's not what you would think of as a two-way street but it is technically two-way it's a hill and it's curvy okay and on this street every morning I have to find a place to park so I can get my son out of the car because you know he's two so I can't just like let him hey just go ahead just I'll just drop you here <laughs> yeah you just sort of roll slowly and he jumps out yeah not exactly get so there yeah, it's incredible the things that I have to do, the places that I have to like try to stick my car and like double park, triple park in front of somebody's driveway and in, in front of like the parking garage, like the entrance to a parking garage of an apartment building or half on the sidewalk, half off the sidewalk. It's insane. It's, it's, I just can't. I used to walk around the city and complain about the way people parked. And now I'm doing it. But it's because I have no choice. <laughs> I have no choice. And I mean, the one thing that I say to myself is it's just for five minutes and I put my emergency lights on to let people know that I'm not abandoning my car there. It's nuts. Isn't that the rub? That's always what happens is you have a very strong opinion about <laughs> something where you walk around the city and you're like, why would somebody park like that? Five years later, you're parking like that. Yeah, Why are I know. you getting angry at me? I have my son. I got to take him, you know, <laughs> I got to take him in. What do you want me to do? I know. It's so true. This is why we should never get angry with each other ever. I know. We're all just a few years away from doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A few years or a few decades. I also have this um, neighbor. She lives on my floor. She's an older lady and she lives alone and I don't know if she's lonely and she just wants some human interaction or if she is genuinely worried about her health, but she knocks on my door probably three mornings a week and asks me what she should do because her blood pressure is high. And I keep telling her I'm not a doctor and I don't have any experience with blood pressure, <laughs> but she keeps coming by and asking me what she should do. Do you suggest different things? I usually just tell her very nicely, you know, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to give you bad advice. It could make things worse. If that fails, I just tell her to like relax on the couch and put her feet up and have a cup of herbal tea. So that's my go-to. But you know, I want to I want to roll my eyes, you know, and just. Oh. But then I think one day you might be in this situation. Yeah, you might be lonely and worried about your blood pressure. Yeah, you have a nice, competent-looking young woman who lives next door <laughs> who might have some insight. <laughs> But back to pacing, as that is our decided topic. Yes. Do you feel like in your day-to-day -day life, not just like, you know, when you're out and about and have a bunch of errands to run, but like in your working day, that where you are makes a difference on your productivity and how fast you're able to get stuff done? Or is, is that more like a external thing? I don't know. That's a tough one. I feel like it's more in what I'm doing in the day. 
So like, for instance, when I was in Seattle, I got a little behind on my emailing as certain listeners who are probably still waiting for a response from me know. (laughs) (laughs) And so yesterday I just sort of started doing that, starting to get back to people and also following up with emails from the meetings I had in Seattle. So technically, I got a lot done yesterday. Like, I wrote a lot of emails. But that day doesn't feel particularly productive. Because as I was going through all these tasks and crossing them off and writing these people back and crossing them off, you answer emails, more come in, for one. I know. It's not the frustrating thing. As I'm going along, I keep discovering, oh, I still need to do this. I still need to do that. So as I'm crossing things off the front of the list, the bottom of the list is just getting longer. So by the end of the day, I felt like I hadn't done anything, even though I had done a bunch of things. Whereas when I'm running around the city of Seattle and I'm managing to slide in a tire alignment at the same time, I felt the same kind of victory I had when I accomplished my uh, New Year's resolution eight days after New Year's. I felt that kind of sense of glory of, you know, you're killing it, girl. Look at you go. You're getting stuff done. Uh, nobody remind me about my um, New Year's resolutions, please, because I don't think I'm doing any of them. As I knew, I wouldn't. I don't think, did we ever talk about what mine ended up being? I think just on social media, it got covered. Oh, yeah. I forgot what in our show I actually came up with something about putting one foot in front of the other for the whole year, which, you know, of course I'm going to do because what else can you do? No, it was much deeper than that. I think it was you wanted to work towards discovering what you were truly meant to be doing. Wasn't it something deep like that? Something like that. Okay, so I'm going to try to do that anyway in my day-to-day life. So we could call that a a full-on cop-out. So what I decided to do was something even more scary than that, which was eat oysters and drink champagne. Well, half of that is not scary at all, the champagne part. (laughs) Why do you find that eating oysters is scary? Because they're like slimy? Well, I'd never done it before. Okay. I'd always put off doing it. They looked disgusting to me. See, that's funny. I I love the way that they look. I don't like the way that they taste. (laughs) No. But I love the way they look. The champagne was actually quite good. And I don't usually like champagne. But the experience itself was so funny because I was so kind of squicked out by it. And of course, the very first oyster I ate was like being smacked in the face with a wave. You know how when you sometimes get knocked off a boogie board and you just go head over tail rolling in the waves and you get a big mouthful of sand and stuff? It was like that. And I ordered four different types. And the next one was tolerable and probably the best one of the four. But like the first one was horrific for a person who doesn't like that kind of thing. Look, Tiffany, I saved the shells. This was the bad one. I show it to you. And then this was the good one. So you've got your shell collection so you can go live on the beach. No, they're here as a sign of my victory and how I got my New Year's resolution done already. So they'll be here all year. No, I know. I was I was hearkening back to our talk about how you can't stand beach decoration. Oh, I know. Well, I don't mind shells. I just don't want shells embroidered on my pillow. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I was trying to make a joke, <laughs> but whatever. We've discovered already that jokes don't work. <laughs> On the radio. So anyway, but back to the pacing. So yeah, I think that kind of a work day makes me feel like I'm doing better. I also really do thrive on human interaction, which you wouldn't think based on how much time I spend working in an office currently alone. But uh, on those days when I'm really interacting with a lot of people, I have a tendency to feel better about it. But I'm all for human interaction. I'm an extrovert. But when I'm alone in my office... For whatever reason, 
my office mates are out that day, I get so much more done. I'm so much more productive when I'm alone. Um, I also have always wanted to like write in a cafe. All writers, like they go to the cafe and they get out their laptop and they write. And I've always wanted to do that. I'll go and I'll do that and I can't work. I just cannot work. I have to be in a place with like low stimulation and not a lot of people Hmm. to get any work done. That's interesting because I find that I can, if it's a busy background, I usually can get more work done. It depends. Actually, that's not true because I do fine in my home office too. But uh, I think because I worked in a newsroom for so many years Mm -hmm. that I'm kind of used to there being lots of noise around me. Not to mention the fact that if you work for NPR, they also pipe NPR through the speakers. So if there's nobody talking around you, they're still playing the radio uh, (laughs) around you. That's how you know if you've gone off the air. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, I can do chaotic environments and I can do working alone. But my friend, uh, I think I told you that I used to have a friend at work when I worked for NPR that said, I really like off work, Katie. I'm not so into on work, Katie, because... She would come to my desk and want to just chat. And I would be like laser focused on whatever I needed to do. And I'd finally look up at her and I'd go, yes, you know, <laughs> be nicer than that. But, you know, I would definitely get in moods where, like you, I was like, I wish this office was al- alone where I could actually get this done. Yeah, I see. I don't have the discipline to like not chat. That's my problem. My setup <laughs> is sort of like this. Like there's the graphic designer who's Italian and she's there every day unless she's taking a day off. It's very easy for me to ignore her because we're just always together. And then there's one of my bosses is probably in the office about two to three days a week. And then there's a third person or a fourth person, if you include me, who is our part-time writer and who's an American girl. And we get along quite well. We're both quite chatty. When she comes in, I really want to talk to her. Not because necessarily I have anything to say or she has anything to say, but I think it's because at this time in my life, because of my home life and because I have a child and, you know, just a lot of things that are going on in my life professionally and in my home, I don't have a lot of socializing time. And so I don't spend a lot of time chatting with my compatriots. And so when she comes in, she's American and I just like, I don't get anything done. I just, we we talk the whole time. And uh, I wish I could just be laser focused like you, but I I don't have the discipline. That's why I'm like, I need to be alone. If I have the choice, I'm going to chat. So I need to be forced to not be able to. Well, don't, don't get me wrong. I did plenty of chatting. That was actually part of my job, like serious collaboration, which would occasionally go off the rails because you always have to come up with whatever the next day's show topic is going to be. So it does have a lot of chatting. And sometimes the show topic would just be something like, hey, let's do a show about pacing. And then you end up standing around being like, hey, you won't even believe the manner of stuff I got done the other day. And all of a sudden it becomes a show. Yeah, it becomes a show. Yeah. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the show that we did? where I had this great idea. We should try to do this as a show. We should have people do submissions about it. But I had read this obituary of a children's book writer. And in his obituary, it had said that, oh, he hadn't even discovered that that was what he was going to do with his life until he was like 75. And then they kind of went through what his whole career had been. And they put in this one line that said, he lived several lifetimes because he kept dramatically changing what he'd done and so we decided that we were going to do a show about what was your new lifetime i'm sure we framed it better than that (laughs) but you get what i'm saying and 
that show started out very normally, but at some point, somebody calls in and talks about being shot and how recovering from being shot repositions their life. And then we started getting call after call of after call of people who had been shot. Oh my god! Good grief! Who knew so many of our listeners had been shot? I mean, you would expect some of them if you're in the United States, but like this many, this many people who are calling. And I'm not trying to make a joke of it, but then we were like talking afterwards. We're like, maybe we should just do the show that said, after I got shot, it would have been the show that we never would have thought we'd have enough material for. Turns out we would have. So that's how like a conversation in the office would get derailed because then you start going down that rabbit hole. Well, what else could we just throw out there? Hey. You never know until you uh, you put it out there. So it's not like I can't chat or I don't chat. I like chatting. You know that. But you're chatting about work, see? Maybe. But back to pacing. No, I was thinking um, <laughs> about pacing. Some cities, beyond the question of if they have a good transport system or not, some cities also just have their own pace. True. New York is a very fast-paced city. You walk down the sidewalk and you have to keep up. Whereas Rome is a very slow city. And people do things slowly. And I remember you telling a story on one of our earliest episodes. When you and Derek were first here in Rome, you had like a list of things you needed to get done. And you were like trying to get it all done in a day or, or a week even. And some person who lived in Italy kind of laughed at you and said, just try to get one thing done a day. And that is an accomplishment. And it truly is in Rome when it comes to bureaucracy and even just random errands that you have to run. It's so hard to get stuff done here that, you know, you have to completely change the pace of your life or the expectation of what your pace could possibly be. Yeah. Do you remember the transition of when you moved there and you're sort of getting used to it? Did you have that American pace that eventually slows way down over the 13 years you've been there? Well, see, it was kind of strange for me because when I moved here, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any friends. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a plan. I was kind of floating. (laughs) And when I first moved here, I lived with some Italian relatives of mine. I really didn't have anything to do because, you know, I wasn't even like cooking for myself or cleaning. I was maybe helping with the dishes and like sweeping the floor. Like that was probably the extent of what I was doing. So the first two weeks of my life in Rome were very idle, excessively idle. I was also very sad, borderline depressed, temporarily depressed, which I don't know if you can consider that depressed. But anyway, um, when I finally moved into the city, I also didn't really have anything to do. I was looking for a job, but it wasn't like I was pounding the pavement and like going down up and down the streets with my resume, like left and right, back and forth, you know, because there were only a very small number of jobs that I could have gotten. So I was just sort of trying to figure something out and trying to find a better apartment than the one that I was in. So that was about it. Like I didn't, and even when I did get a job teaching yoga, I was only teaching maybe four classes a week. I just had all this free time. I was trying to fill that time by doing things that were free. I mean, I was teaching four classes a week, so I had no money. So I was basically visiting churches. That was what I did. My first few months in Rome, I visited churches during the day. And at night, I would go. This is, I sound so pathetic right now. 
But this is what we did before there was social media. The glamorous life of a 20-something in Rome. Of an expat <laughs> who has no friends, basically. <laughs> I would go to churches during the day. I would visit churches. And I would go to free concerts, free classical music concerts at night. And then I had these like random classes here and there. And I was also trying to sing, you know, because I was at that point when I first moved to Rome, I was still working on my singing. And so I would, I would practice. I just had no frame of reference for anything. So I was very idle from the very beginning. It took me several, several months to get any kind of full-time work. And then when I finally did, the job that I had gave me a lot of free time. So I was actually the opposite. <laughs> and then as time went by, I all of a sudden, I don't know when the change happened, but all of a sudden I got very, very busy. And now I'm at the point where I have almost no free time. It's just totally backwards. <laughs> Is that part of the, granted, it's just one woman's story, but yeah. do you think that that's part of the process of becoming more connected I'm trying to think like in the pacing when you you traveling to a place that you've never been before your pace is often let's say you go to somewhere for a week your pace there you're either going to try to cram it all in I guess maybe your pace would be a lot or your pace is going to be slow because you don't know where you're going and what you're doing right somewhere in between well, I think it depends if you're a traveler or an expat because I think you have more time if you're an expat you have more time but you also have different priorities when you're an, a traveler your priorities are to see touristic sites to experience the local culture and possibly just to relax it depends on your personality which of those things you want to focus on but when you're an expat you're forced to slow down i think travelers have to slow down too for basic things like oh my gosh, wait, where am I? What street am I on? I have to stop and look at the map. Okay, that, yes. Any tourist is going to have to do that. But when you're an expat, and you found this out when you were first here, there are basic things, that, the basic things that you need to do to stay alive that you don't know how to do. And you don't know where to do them. <laughs> like, you know, you just find yourself, unless you have some kind of person there to like walk you through it, like some kind of transition consultant. They have these people who do this. For most of us who move abroad, you know, we get to a new place and it's like, oh my God, I got to find a place to wash my clothes. Like, or I got to find a place to, I, I don't have to figure out how to do internet. Like you just, it, there's, it's so overwhelming and there's so much that you need to figure out, but you just can't, you can't do things fast. That is one of the many aspects of being an expat that teaches humility. True. Over time, as you now you've have those things all figured out, it's no big deal anymore. You make more friends, you get better and better jobs, the more connected you get. And of course, you know, you threw a child in there, you know, had a kid. <laughs> the more and more connected you get, though, the busier, the more the pacing ramps up in your life. Yeah. Less sitting around in churches. When's the last time you sat around in a church? I can't remember. Probably, probably a month or so before my before I went back to work, the tail end of my maternity leave. All of a sudden, was like, oh my gosh, my maternity leave is almost over. Like I have to take advantage of this. And I climbed to the Janicolo Hill from my apartment in Trastevere, and I went to the church where I got married. And I was with Aurelio. He was in the ergo. My goal was to try to find the tomb of Beatrice Cenci who is a historical figure I'm slightly obsessed with. A very fascinating character who was beheaded in 1599 
for killing her father because he was sexually abusing her. Fascinating story. Wow. Yeah, she's like a very compelling figure. She was only like in her early, I think she was 21 or something. I wanted to find her tomb, which I know is in that church. I couldn't find it. But while I was there, I was like looking at the art and I was taking pictures and I was, that's probably the last time. So that was two years ago, almost. Yeah, it's so interesting. Before we got this conversation started, I was relaying to you a conversation that me and my father had when I was at home in Seattle. My father was a Presbyterian minister. And so we've spent a lot of time in the church. And I was saying that one of the cliches that always happen in church sermons that kind of drive me crazy, regardless of where you go, it seems like people always talk about needing to take some time out of this busy life. They'll always say, we're so scheduled. We are just running from place to place to place. We never have time for anything. And I always think that that's such a cliche. I mean, it's like almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where people keep saying it enough and then we feel like, oh my God, I got to be busier. I'm going to sign up for soccer. And then I feel like I look at my life and yeah, I got stuff to do, but it's not like I don't have a minute to sit down and watch TV or watch a show or like cook a dinner. I'm not constantly barely making it through the door to my next appointment. I have breathing room within my schedule. And I just, I was just said to him I, that I'm just so tired of that cliche. And he laughed and he said, and it's equally cliche within the church because who are they preaching to? A bunch of old people who are, you know, sitting around, a lot of them having more free time than they've ever had in their entire lives now that they're retired. So in that way, it's a total cliche. Then, of course, I mentioned this to you and you're point out, as you should, that I don't have a kid. And maybe for people that do have children, there are less of those points where you can say, I'm really tired now. I'm going to sit down and read this book for a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate, and I've said this before, I hate the parent thing where like parents act like nobody in the world is busy if they're not a parent. I, I hate that because it's not true. And there are plenty of people who don't have kids or who have kids who are grown, who are way busier than someone with a job and three kids, maybe. But it, there's just something about having a little kid and I only have one, <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't even really have the right to complain. I have none, so I'll give you the right to complain. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not a complaint. It's just, it's just a, kind of a fact. Because even if you do have a little bit of time, you're always guilty to take it. My mother-in-law lives down the street, and I can take Aurelio to her house on a Tuesday afternoon, and she'll be so happy to take care of him. Somewhere deep down, I'm like, hmm, you know, I've been at work all day, and my son's been at daycare and I just got off and instead of spending time with him, I drop him off at my mother-in-law's. Like, what kind of a parent am I? There's always a little bit of that. And if you do decide to get a babysitter or pawn the kid off with your mother-in-law or what have you, you're always like, okay, what am I going to do with this time? How am I going to best fill this time? I have a little look, window of time for myself. Should I work on my next book? Should I do a load of laundry? Should I get something done for, you know, get a couple dinners in the freezer? You know, you, you never think, oh, I'm just going to like lie on the couch. You're just like, no, that would be a waste of time. Let me at least fold laundry while I'm watching a movie. So in that sense, I think it is possible when you're a parent to literally like not have a minute until your kids go to bed, which in a lot of cases you want to go to bed too, because you're freaking tired. <laughs> But hopefully they tell me that this passes and that kids do eventually get a little bit more self-sufficient as they get older. So I don't want to complain too much, especially when kids are little. They're so, I keep reminding myself, it's not going to be like this forever. My son is so affectionate and so 
lovey and adorable and my mom's always like enjoy it now enjoy it now and he's like petting my cheek and cuddling with me and telling me how beautiful I am and I'm like yeah I should probably enjoy this that's it you know I could totally see you doing that to your mom <laughs> yeah but I'm a girl well still you know do boys do that to their mom you know what probably Italian boys do Italian Italian boys are very affectionate with their moms see so you got years to go yeah years and years <laughs> well we should leave it there I don't think that we've actually solved anything but now you know a lot of little details about our lives that you didn't need to know so I feel like we've accomplished something today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just want to, you know, let you in even further. <laughs> the door is cracked. The camel's nose is under the tent. It's coming in. Um, so anyway, but yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we've given you some food for thought when it comes to the pacing of how you want to run your life. It would be interesting to hear from somebody who is a fast paced person living in a slow paced city or vice versa how you come to deal with having to change your pace a little bit based on the city you're living in. Yeah, that would be great. So if you have any comments or thoughts, feel free to email us. We we do like to share some of the more interesting emails that we get, as we did in our last two episodes. We get a lot of really interesting points of view and questions that we'd like to share with you guys when the opportunity arises. Yes, bittersweetlife at mail. Dot com not gmail mail m-a-i-l.com you can also email us through our website thebittersweetlife.net and follow us on all the social medias i want to give a shout out to our intern estrella gomez for all the great work she's at lacasablaga.com and regardless of how busy or not busy you are we have a very special announcement to make we don't have all the details yet but save the date for march 16th if you live in Seattle, Tiffany and I will be doing our first live performance of The Bittersweet Life. Live show. It's a Friday night. Yeah. In Seattle, March 16th, celebrating this show and the people who listen to this show, as well as the release, finally, the release of Tiffany's book, Midnight in the Piazza. So March 16th, we will get back to you with the details, but write it down in your calendar. If you're in Seattle, we need to see you there. No question about it. Yes, it's our hometown. So um, we're pretty excited to be reuniting there. Yeah, I mean, it will be the first time you and I have appeared anywhere together on a stage since we were in theater in like middle school. High school. We did theater together in high school. Okay, fine. We did theater in high school. My favorite plays I was in with you were in middle school. So I will say that. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs crew. Don't forget Puss in Boots. I know, but that one wasn't as fun. Come on. No, it wasn't quite as fun, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying the best one. But yes, shout out to the people who are in Puss in Boots too. So March 16th, write it down. Be there if you're in Seattle. If you're near to Seattle, Portland, I'm looking at you. Drive up. It's only three hours, people. Have a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Don't miss it. As soon as we have the details confirmed, I will share them with you. Until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Bye. Visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All donations are reserved exclusively for the creation of audio content. Your financial support keeps us strong. Thank you.